Hello, everybody. Michael Lombardo here. I'm your host. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I am very excited to have my guest here on the show. We're going to dive into a very deep subject. Um, I believe it's going to be very interesting for you. So, uh, we, we may even uh, answer some questions that you have swirling around in your mind here as this discussion goes on today. But I really want to have time for the content that we're going to dive into here. And so I'm going to introduce my guest. Um, for those who are tuning into Awaken Podcast for the first time, we have new shows every Monday and Thursday releasing through the Charisma Podcast Network. It's on Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Play, etc. Pretty much anywhere podcasts are listened to. And I interview guests from around the world that have a strong biblical um, message, uh, authors, ministers um, that have an anointing and you know that are seeing great things you know, take place around the world. And so we have lots of testimonies as well as some shows where I do some teaching from the word of God. And so today my guest is Dr. Michael Heiser. He is the author of several books, but ones that I've really enjoyed are Reversing Hermon, The Unseen Realm, Supernatural, Angels, and now his most recent book, Demons, plus many more. He's written a lot of books. He has an MA and a PhD in the Hebrew Bible and ancient Semitic languages from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. His education also includes an MA in ancient history from the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Heiser is one of a handful of PhDs in the world that can translate seven extinct languages among the biblical Hebrew, uh, biblical Greek, Aramaic, and more. He's the host of the Naked Bible podcast, as well as the executive director of the Awakening School of Theology and Ministry. Uh, thank you, Michael, for joining me again on the broadcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. We had a you know a great conversation on the Unseen Realm about a month ago, and um, that was a book that changed my life. You know, I like I said in the last show, I devoured it in four or five days. Um, and changed uh, mine too. <laughs> changed yours first, right? And so, uh, and now we just get to glean from that. And so, I devoured it, and it really answered a lot of questions for me. And today we're discussing one of your most recent books called Demons, um, what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness. We'll be diving deeper into that subject. But before we, I kind of want to get into this. I shared a little bit about your bio. I know that we could talk for a long time on this subject, so I would really love um, a backdrop on this a little bit. I know you talk about um, you talk about in your new book, Three Supernatural Rebellions um, in the mm-hmm. Bible. I really would love that uh, to be a backdrop and a foundation for us on the show. Sure. You know, let, let me just start by saying if, if what we get into today sounds new to you, to your listeners, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's okay. I mean, I, I was, it wasn't until I was a PhD student that I really was sort of confronted, you know, with, with what I present in the book. And, you know, also lay out in sort of seed form an unseen realm. Mm-hmm. And I just want people to know that because I wasn't a newbie. You know, I was, I was a PhD student in Hebrew studies. I had two master's degrees. I had taught for five years. I taught over 20 courses on yeah. the undergraduate you know, Bible college level. And there were things that I had never seen before. And, and there were reasons for that. One was, you know, I, when you get to the doctoral level, they don't let you read English translations anymore. You know, they, they force you to confront and read primary texts. 
the, the filters are basically removed, you know, when it comes to angelology and, and demonology, a, a lot of what we think we know is filtered to us through, through Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, th- this is not an exaggeration. This, this is, I'm, I'm, this is the, the, the point blank truth here. In all my years at Bible college and in seminary, I had one clock hour, not credit hour, clock hour, about 60 minutes on these subjects. Wow. And, and what that teaches you is that if, well, if it was important, they'd actually spend some time on it. So I guess it's not important. So if, if this is going to sound new to you, this whole approach that, the, hey, there, in Genesis 1 through 11, you know, the, 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 the preamble, you know, before we get to the, the supernatural creation of Israel and the rest of the biblical story. But in these 11 chapters, we're confronted with three supernatural rebellions, the circumstances for three, not just one, not just what happens in the Garden of Eden. And that is the only one that is typically familiar to, to just about, you know, 99% of people in church, because we've been taught not to see number two, and we'll get to the three, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll describe them here. Yep. We're taught not to see number two, and we never see number three because we have a, an English translation obstacle uh, going on. So if it sounds new, don't freak out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> It was new to me too. And, you know, yes, you've missed a lot of things, but that's again, why, why we try to produce the content we do, because there's a lot more going on in scripture than you might suspect. Absolutely. And a lot of questions. I just feel like a lot of people read the Bible yeah. and they and they gloss over things just because they're like, well, maybe we'll let's leave that to the uh, theologians and the pastors. I don't really understand that. Let's just move on from there. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that's actually a good a good way. I mean, let's just sketch the three. And and I like the way you said that because it really does have importance for processing Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And he's kind of a central character. In the whole <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what we have in, in again in Genesis one through eleven, you know, just the primeval story, is we've got three problems, not just one. So we have you know gar- the Garden of Eden. Everybody's familiar with that. It, you know, it, it, it still amazes me that that I can I can talk about what happens in Eden, and we get to the serpent, and I'll and I'll say you know the the serpent here wasn't really a member of the animal kingdom. This isn't a zoology lesson. And people look at you, even Christians, like you got two heads. Well, what do you mean? You know, and then you start saying, well, in the New Testament, you know, this is obviously a supernatural being, right? And everybody's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, why aren't we reading it that way back in Genesis 3? You know, then you get into ancient literature, and I do this in the book, that, you know, ancient people knew that animals don't talk. So, even in secular, like Egyptian stories and Mesopotamian stories, when you when you have this kind of thing happen, the reader instantly knows, okay, the gods are up to something. Like like they just assume that there's some supernatural power behind talking animals because animals don't talk. You know, there, there's got to be something supernatural yeah. going on. And, and Genesis three is no different than that. You know, so the reader knows, and the ancient is, you know, ancient reader would of course know that, okay, we don't really, you know, this is like, isn't a, again, just your run of the mill member of the animal kingdom here. This is a supernatural being that either comes in this form or is like inhabiting. I mean, there are different ways that they could process this, but they know it's not just a snake. Mm-hmm. So w- we know the story. 
and we kind of fixate on how the story relates to our individual sins and sinning. And again, that's part of it. But what really is part of the pun, the fallout of the fall, is we, we are left with two issues. One is separation from God. Okay, God wants a family. This is what he wants from the very beginning, and now he doesn't have that. Eden is no more. The, the, you know, Adam and Eve have been driven out of the garden. You know, the, they're, they're not the only ones cursed. You know, the serpent is cursed. You know, he wanted to be above everything, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that there was. You know, I, I will be like, you know, above the stars of God even, you know, the members of the heavenly host. Now he's put beneath everything, literally. You know, he's, he's like on the ground and even under the ground because he, he, he's cast down to the heiress, which is the word for ground or land, but it's also a word for shield, the underworld. You know, so this is the beginning of his association with that place and also death, because the, the, other, the other fundamental problem is now everything dies. And, and this is why later on, this rebel, this initial rebel that we refer to later as Satan, you know, the New Testament refers to later as Satan and the devil, and Dead Sea Scrolls refer to as Mastana or the liar or the worthless one, you know, Belial. I mean, there's lots of titles for this guy, and they all fit. <laughs> yes. Um, so the, the reason that he's associated with, you know, with the underworld and death, the realm of the dead, is because what, what he has done results in everything dying. Instead of everything living, instead of life flourishing in Eden the way God wanted it, now everything dies. And he becomes perceived, as Paul calls him, the God of this world. Why? Because when you really get down to it, because everything dies, everything's going to land in this guy's doorstep. Mm. Everything's going to land in his lap. He owns it all because everything dies. And God is not associated with death. He is associated only with life. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have a real problem here. Estrangement from God and the loss of immortality. And then you move to Genesis 6. And this is the one we're taught not to see, the sons of God and the daughters of men and the Nephilim and all this weird stuff. Everyone in the Jewish and Christian world up to about the 5th century AD took this as a supernatural transgression. You know, and I I talked about this in Unseen Realm. I spent a little more time on it in in, in the Demons book and, of course, reversing Hermon. But the the real problem here is not, you know, the the goofy Nephilim. Okay, everybody wants to fixate on them. Look, they're, they're killed off. Yeah. By the time of David, and, and as a sidebar, isn't it kind of interesting? Who who eliminates the Nephilim and their descendants, the Anakim and the Rephaim and all these guys? Mm. It's Moses, Joshua, and David. What do all three of those have in common? They are foreshadowings of the Messiah. They Beautiful. are types of wow. the Messiah. Mm-hmm. The prophet like unto Moses. Joshua, Yeshua. It's his name. That's why Jesus gets this name. David. He's the son of David. I mean, that's not a coincidence. But the physical line is not the real problem. It, mm. it, it's it's whatever, what, all the other stuff that's associated with this rebellion when the sons of God transgress the, the boundary fixed by God between heaven and earth to essentially want their own creations. They want their own people. They want their own imagers. You know, why? Well, maybe we can do a better job. You know, maybe, you know, we, we want our own as rivals. I mean, intertestamental Jewish tradition, you know, sort of, you know, tried to sort this out in different ways, you know, what the motivation was. But but that's all sort of backstory and window dressing. What's really the issue here is is in the story, and we don't get this in Genesis 6, 
But we do get it in the New Testament when Peter ta- associates false teachers with, with demons, okay? The original backstory of Genesis 6 is a story, yes, that involves this weird cohabitation language and, and the you know giants and all this stuff. But there's another element to it, and that is these sons of God who transgress teach humans certain things that compound the Genesis 3 problem. Mm-hmm. They, they direct people toward idolatry. They magnify bloodshed and violence. They, they teach humans about drugs, you know, in altered states. You know, they, they, they teach them about astrology. You know, all these things that are sort of, you know, forbidden, uh, either because they're self-destructive or they turn the heart away from the true God, the, the one that, that we have to get back to because this is who we're estranged from. No, we don't want to do that. We're going we're gonna to distract you and deflect you away from that and, and compound the issues that are emerging from Genesis 3. So we have more death, more destruction. Now we get, you know, some idolatry into the picture. You know, we, we, we've just, it's, it's more of a mess. Mm-hmm. So Genesis 6 in Jewish tradition is really about the proliferation and the acceleration of human depravity and self-destruction. Then you get to the third one, and this is the Babel story. And, you know, your, your audience is going to be familiar with the Babel story. You can read Genesis 11, 1 through 9. You read that, and you go, where are the demons? You know, where's the, where are the bad guys? I don't see any supernatural bad guys in here. And you're right, you don't. But the problem is, is you never find Deuteronomy 32, 8, and 9. And if you do, this is my experience as a doctoral student, I had read that passage before and didn't notice anything. But when you're forced to read it in, in Hebrew and in the Dead Sea Scrolls specifically, then it's like, this is a whole new game mm-hmm. because the oldest text of Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9 we have says when the most high, and again, we know who that is. That's the God of the Bible. When the most high divided up the nations, he divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. And a lot of your English translations won't say that they'll have sons of Israel, but a few of them do. ESV has sons of God NLT has it. New RSV has it. Uh, and that's because these translations have the, the people who made them, scholars who, who did the work, chose to incorporate the Dead Sea Scrolls into the actual translation. So there are some that do this, but but I had never seen it before until, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in a class and reading, you know, journal articles that, that, are, that talk about the passage, and boom, there it is. And, and what it describes is God is judging humanity, you know, en masse. I mean, have you have you ever you know read through Genesis one through eleven and and you're kind of bumping along and yeah there's problems and judgments and whatnot but it's it's God relating to humanity sort of as a whole you don't get the sense that there are other gods mm-hmm. you know other pantheons and then you hit Abraham and it gives his lineage and his his father is Terah and if you have if you if you look up Terah or you read the, the last chapter of Joshua you'll find out that Terah was an idolater. You know, he worshipped other gods. It's like, yeah. well, where does that come from? You know, how did that happen? Because we've, we've got, like, everybody's relating to the same, you know, God up to that point. Now, all of a sudden, in Abraham's time, to sure. get idolatry. Like, how'd that happen? Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the Old Testament answer for that is that's what extends from Babel, because God assigns the nations that he is judging. He's divorcing himself from them. He's no longer going to be in relationship to them. 
because they're not obeying after the flood. And he repeats the Edenic mandate, and they, they turn around and make a ziggurat because they want God to come to them, and they don't want to overspread the earth. It even says in Genesis 11, they're doing this, lest we are scattered across the earth. Oh, lest we have to obey God, you know. <laughs> True. So True. it's very clear that they're not, they're resisting what they're supposed to do, and God's had it. He's fed up with it. And he assigns them to lesser members of the heavenly host. Now, I don't think those members were in rebellion at the time, but we are told that in a, a pretty short amount of time, this doesn't go well. You know, we get references to idolatry. We get Psalm 82, where these, you know, sons of God that are over the nations are accused of sowing chaos among the nations. They're, they're you know, they, they accept worship of other, you know, of the people when the people shouldn't be worshiping them. They seduced the Israelites. If you read, keep reading in Deuteronomy 32, the Shadim, this is a territorial entity term, seduced the Israelites into worshiping them instead of their God, you know, Yahweh. So if we go back to Deuteronomy 32.8, the Most High divides up the nations according to the number of the sons of God. He, he, allot, he allots them to these nations, and he allots the nations to them. And, and we get that story also told in Deuteronomy 4, 19, 20, and Deuteronomy 17, the first three verses, and Deuteronomy 29, 23 through 26, you get this allotment language. But then verse 9 of Deuteronomy 32 says, but Israel is Yahweh's portion. Well, there was no Israel at Babel. You know, it, so hmm. what's that? Well, right after Babel, what does God do in the biblical story? He calls Abraham. He calls Abraham, yeah. And basically that's, we're going to start over. Wow. I, I've divorced myself from people. I've allotted them to other gods. We'll see how that goes. They don't want me to be their god. Fine, let's just see how this goes. They're going to be placeholders because God is still interested in the nations. How do we know that? Because when he calls Abraham and makes a covenant with him, he tells Abraham, look, it's going to be through your seed that, you know, someday, you know, through your seed that all the other nations are going to be blessed. You know, we're, we're not forgetting about them, but, but they're under punishment. Right now, and God starts over with this one nation, Israel, but it, it just goes haywire. It becomes an adversarial, you know, thing. The, the sons of God again rebel, humanity rebels, and the rest of the Old Testament, really the rest of the biblical story, is Israel against the gods, you know, you know Yahweh against the gods, Israel against the other nations, and, and it, it all emerges from from this event at Babel. So, by the time you get past Genesis one through eleven, by the time you get to Abraham, you've had three rebellions, both human and supernatural. And this is this is the biblical explanation for why the world is, is a chaotic mess. It's also the explanation for why we need Israel, why they even exist. Again, God's starting over. Mm-hmm. And that propels the rest of the biblical story from that point forward. Now, if you believe this, if you're an Israelite and this is your worldview, or you're a first century Jew, and this is your worldview, or, you know, a Jew living in between the testamental periods. If you believe this, this is going to color and influence how you think about the Messiah. Because it, it, in the biblical story, it soon becomes clear, and it goes all the way back to God's you know, reference to, to this, to Eve, that, hey, someday there's going to be a human, somebody from your lineage, that's going to undo what's happened here. You know, and then that person gets linked to Israel, and Israel, you know, the whole story. Um, it's going to be very apparent that whoever this is, whoever emerges from the seed of Abraham, 
whoever is the son of David or the prophet like unto Moses. You, know, you have all these signposts along the way. Whoever this is is going to have to reverse not just what happened in Eden, but he's going to have to reverse all of this, this whole mess. And so if you understand the powers of darkness, the way they are cast, because you have different groups. You got one in, you know, in Genesis 3. You got a different group in Genesis 6. They're banished to the abyss. That's where, that's where Second yeah. Peter you know, mm-hmm. references them. They're in chains of gloomy darkness. But, but the Nephilim and the giant clans that extend from the Nephilim that they spawn, this is where demons come from in, in Jewish theology, which has its seeds in the Old Testament. Because you find Rephaim in Sheol, in the, in, in the underworld, in, in hell, so to speak, in certain Old Testament passages. You know, and, and in between the Testaments, you know, there's a lot of writing about these guys in Sheol, where do they come from. Uh, these are the demons of the Gospels. So this is a totally different group. It's why they're called unclean spirits, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, because uncleanness in, in kosher, Levitical you know, mentality is a forbidden mixture, and that's what they are. That's why they're called bastard spirits in the Dead mm-hmm. Sea Scrolls. That's what they are. Yeah. You know, and again, they're associated with false teaching by Peter because, hey, that's what they did. You know, so you have all these, again, signposts moving along, but that's a, that's a different group. And the third group is a different group. They're not demons. Okay, they're something else. They don't come from Genesis 6. They, they're, they're a new branch. They're a new bunch that turn bad, that, that rebel, that become adversarial against Yahweh. And this is, you know, Daniel, Daniel 10. Again, your readers, are, your, your listeners are going to be familiar with Daniel 10. You, know, you have Michael, the archangel, the prince of the host, and all that stuff. And then, you, you know, they're having it out. There's a spiritual warfare going on between Michael and another unnamed figure. And then the, the, the bad guys are the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Mm-hmm. Supernatural bad guys over nations. Where does, where does Daniel get that idea? I mean, do we ever ask ourselves these questions, okay? Where does Daniel get that idea? Well, he, he doesn't make it up. He gets it from Deuteronomy 32, which is the Babel story you know, told in Deuteronomy. And this is where Paul gets his theology of principalities, mm-hmm. powers, rulers, thrones, dominions. I mean, Paul uses the word demons occasionally. But most of the time, he's talking this way about the powers of darkness. And what do all these terms have in common? What do they mean? They're words that are used of geographical dominion. So you've got three groups. You've got three problems. And the Messiah is supposed to fix this whole mess. See, that is the, that's the backdrop for understanding, you know, demonology, if we want to use that term, or satanology. I mean, mm-hmm. This is why I reference it as the powers of darkness, because there, it's bigger than Satan. Yep. Satan is not the only power of darkness. Demons are not the only power of darkness. I mean, the, the subtitle is deliberate, because there's a lot more going on here than, oh, the white hats are angels and the black hats are Satan and demons. And now we're done. You, you know, that's less than a clock hour. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's, there's a lot more going on here. And, and what's said about Jesus, not only the stories of his life and that some of the places he goes, and some of the things he says, but, but the work of the cross is actually applied to all three situations. And that's what's missing. 
wow. from our understanding of the powers of darkness. This is, you know, I, it, I'm fond of talking about Unseen Realm and the other stuff I do by, by saying things like, you know, the dirty little secret of Unseen Realm is that Mike never had an original thought. You know, because I, I'm a synthesizer, I'm a dot connector. You know, I, I, I rely, I, I mean, I, I, I utilize biblical scholarship and I try to make it decipherable, decipherable to people and I try to connect things for them. But this book does more of that. But this is the only book ever written on this subject that approaches the subject from the perspective of three rebellions. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because that's how antiquity looked at it. So, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when I, you know, before, uh, when you would hear about Nephilim or these things would come up, it would be a bunch of conspiracy, you know, theories and, you know, things, you know, there's, you know, some shallow stuff going on with Babel and we would hear all these different theologies yep. and, you know, especially in Bible school and there wasn't any real answers. And when I read, I actually read, uh, reversing Hermon before I read the unseen realm. Um, but wow. when I, when I read reversing Hermon, a buddy of mine gave it to me, that's why. And then it made me say, wow, I got a lot of questions here. Let me, let me get into the unseen realm, but I've never seen such a Christocentric view of, of these events, of these three rebellions of Genesis. You know, it's always yeah. about, you know, Genesis and the forgiveness of sins, but not about the depravity that came into the earth, you know, through Genesis yeah. six and that rebellion. And then also Babel about you know, um, about Jesus reclaiming the nations. And so it's just this all encompassing work. It was, Jesus didn't just yeah. come to save us from what happened in Genesis, but what you know took place in these other rebellions as well. And one thing, you know, your books, your books about, you know, it's called, it's called demons. And one thing that you've, um, said, and I've heard you say, and I've read in your books is you talk about demons. Um, and so I want to go there for a minute being the disembodied spirits of Nephilim. And that was very, very interesting to me. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. But then in Unseen Realm, you talk about how Jesus, in his earthly ministry, you see him dispelling demons as a part of his mission, you know, all over Israel. Um, And, you know, it it, kind of, it made sense that, you know, these demons would be looking for hosts for bodies. I'd love to hear a little bit about that because Jesus came and he's casting out demons. He's, He's declaring the kingdom and casting out spirits. And it's just... You know, it's just him just reversing what took place. Yeah, yeah, there, it, it is a reversal. You know, and, you know, honestly, I mean, there, you can't put everything into a book. I mean, into one book anyway, or even two in my case. But there, there are a couple of things going on here that are really significant. Um, and again, you, you you get bits and pieces of this in 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 my books, but we'll we'll flesh them out a little bit here. Mm-hmm. There are two issues. Okay, the re-embodiment, that's kind of obvious, you know, because these, these spirits are seeking re-embodiment and then Jesus is casting them out. But there's a rationale for, for seeking re-embodiment that goes back to the Genesis 6 and, again, the, the intertestamental Jewish tradition, at least one of them, as to why the sons of God would do this, you know, to, to raise up their own populations, essentially. And that is, they want families, too. Okay, they, they, there's a family metaphor that runs through this. So when, if you go back to Genesis 3, who does God redeem? Mm-hmm. He redeems humans. Yeah. It's Adam and Eve. He, he has no interest in redeeming, you know, the, the serpent figure, you know, the Nakash or, you know, Satan, or, you know, however we want to refer to this figure. He has no interest in redeeming him. And, and that's really insulting because 
humans, according to Psalm 8, are a little lower than the Elohim. They are <laughs> yeah. lesser. Uh-huh. And yet somehow God is, is so attached to his human family, bringing them, incorporating them into, the, into the, his existing supernatural family, so much so that he created a world that, that embodied, you know, these embodied creatures that are going to be his images can live in. And he's going to go to that world and take his other family with him. And this is all unseen realm stuff. You know, and, and, and when, when things go wrong, this is what he wants saved, not, not the other guy. And, and mm-hmm. so there's, there's a divorce going on there. You know, when you get to the Genesis 6, 6 thing, it's like, well, you know, we, we either want this on our own terms or we want families of our own. You know, and, and so when, when, they, when they don't get that, when they can't live on the earth among their own people and they're sent to, you know, be imprisoned. And then they're, you know, what, what, what comes from that in terms of the demonic, you know, worldview is, you know, they're killed. They don't have, you know, immortality. They're killed. And then they're sentenced to roam the earth without embodiment. And they want embodiment again, because why? Because they, then they can be like the humans. Mm. You know, in, in other words, it's, it's weird that a supernatural being would want to, would want to play that role. Well, again, if you understand the role is, is humans get to be brought back into relationship with God. We don't. Then again, there's, it's just another layer to, to the issue. Yeah. But you know, Jesus forbids this. This is not what's going to happen. This is not what God's will is. And so we're going to put an end to this. You know, we're, you know, this is not, you're not going to get what you want here, fellas. <laughs> you know, you're just not. Yeah. And the other sub question is why you don't have any any exorcisms in the Old Testament. I mean, the word demon is only used twice, actually, and it's not a, a great translation either. But it's, I think, it's the best that English translators could do, and now it's become tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't have any exorcisms, so it, it raises the question: well, Why would people? In Jesus' day, when he goes around and casts out these demons, why would they think this is part of the messianic profile? So they'd only think that if you're thinking in terms of the three rebellions and reversal. And you're also only thinking of that if you know how the ancient Jewish community read certain things in the Old Testament. Like Psalm 91, I just did an episode of my podcast on this. Psalm 91 among the Dead Sea Scrolls is grouped with four other songs that are attributed to David that are not in our, our Hebrew Bible, but they're, they're nevertheless songs attributed to David. And Psalm 91 is actually bundled with them. This is how they were discovered. All of the other four are exorcistic psalms. And so this tells you that Psalm 91 was thought to be an exorcistic psalm. And well, why would they think that? Well, if you, again, if you read it in Hebrew, you'd realize words like pestilence. Yep. and plague, mm-hmm. and war. These are, they're actually names of Canaanite deities who were, that were thought to be, again, these, these powers of darkness. And so, you know, in the psalm, the, you know, the, the focus of the psalm, again, at Qumran, it's a psalm of David, is David, the king, the, you know, the dynastic ruler from whom the Messiah is going to go. So if you're reading that psalm that way, when, when this guy from Nazareth shows up and starts you know, you start hearing this, like, this is the son of David, this is the Messiah, this is the anointed one, and they're like, eh, okay, well, let, let's see what he does. When he starts casting out demons, it's like, okay, 
I probably need to listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like, oh yeah. This, this is a, you know, I, I'm being prodded in the direction of, of believing this <laughs> because this is a, a clear association with something that the son of David is supposed to be able to do, mm-hmm. you know, so that there's just a lot of stuff like this, you know, floating around. Uh, yeah. But, but the demons thing, and, and Jesus actually does this in both Jewish territory and Gentile yeah, dominated right. territory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's fascinating, like the Legion account. I mean, the, the accounts that aren't Legion, that Jesus will get referred to as the son of David or the son of God or, you know, some, you know, some, you know, way of referencing that, that kind of a Jew would say, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth in Mark, you know, Mark one twenty four thereabouts. But when you go to the Legion account, which is in Gentile territory, it's in the area of Bashan, which in the Old Testament was like, ground zero for the powers of darkness okay when you go over there then the demons address him different it says what what would you have you know to do with me jesus son of the most high mm. and the most high this is the language used of the deuteronomy 32 you know world yeah. that third rebellion when the nations are put put under the authority of these other other entities that become you know hostile powers of darkness so they like it's even they have a clue. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, they like, know what's okay, going on. We, we know we're going to address you properly. Uh-huh. You're the son of the Most High. Yeah. Right away, it, it tells you they understand the pecking order here. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are even little things like this that emerge that, it, wow. unless you're thinking about the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, you're going to read the Legion account and not think anything of this language. You, you, you're not, you wouldn't be, well, I wonder what they say in other passages. You know? I mean, yeah. you'd never ask these questions. Mm-hmm. The, the lights would never go on. And so this is what I'm trying to do in the Demons book, trying to lay out you know, what, what the thinking was here and, and show, you know, let, let me just put, the, put it this way. If you go out on the internet and you, you, know, you get exposed to, Satan and demon talk, you know, you're, you're going to run into the fact that a lot of scholars that, that I, I think either have a low view of Scripture's inspiration or not a sufficiently high one, will, will pit the New Testament against the Old. They'll say things like, oh, all this, you know, this, the way Satan is talked about in the New Testament and demons, you know, this is new. You know, this isn't in the Old Testament. In mm. fact, it's mm. different. It's foreign to the Old Testament. We have a different theology here, and they're trying to pit the Testaments against each other, which really undermines, you know, the sort of the, the, the view that, that all of this is inspired. Inspired you know, by God. How could it be mm-hmm. contradictory? Yeah. And I don't believe that at all. I think that everything that's said in the New Testament in these regards the seeds for it are all in the Old Testament. It's just that it's not systematized in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I if I'm making a cake, and I make a cake, and I'm I'm you know I I can sit there and look at the cake and take a slice and enjoy it. That's going to look different than the ingredients, okay, that were just on my counter a few hours ago. But you know what? That's the cake. <laughs> okay, it's just that they haven't been assembled. They haven't been put together, uh-huh. but the cake is made of those things. And, and this is what you have, again, in, in, you know, not only in the New Testament, but even before the New Testament, in, in between there, in the Second Temple period, 
the, the writers there are trying to take the data points of the Old Testament and systematize them, make sense of them. I see all these data points, like what does this mean? You know, what, what, what is the cast of characters? How do these things relate to each other? And, and they spent a lot of time writing about it because they believe that, that their Hebrew Bible is the Word of God. Absolutely. And the New Testament is part of this outlook. The Hebrew Bible is the Word of God. And, and so they're doing the same thing. And occasionally, you know, the New Testament writers will find something really useful, you know, in, in a book, you know, that's, that's already written, you know, whether it's Enoch or something else or one of the Dead Sea Scrolls or something. And you'll, you'll see them, you know, pick up on things that, and, and, okay, this is helpful. This, this really says this a, a really helpful way for my readers now. You know, it, it, there's, no, mm-hmm. there's no contradiction here. It's oh, no. just one is a systematized, fuller picture. One is the cake, and the other one is the ingredients. Yeah, That's all you've got. And what you've helped do for me and thousands of other people is lay a foundation and help connect the dots because even going through Bible school for so many years, what you what you have is questions and you've helped me, you know, lay lay a foundation for me that is biblical, that I see clearly in, in, in the scriptures. And it's it's helped me understand obscure passages that I never had a grid for, you know, in Genesis and Psalms and the Gospels and First Peter and Jude and you know all these different references that made us scratch our heads. Yeah, it, it's supposed to make sense. You know, the, the the Bible is not a collection of random, you know, essays from a bunch of people who weren't like thinking along the same lines. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's not a random thing. It's an intelligent, intentional story. And everything in there contributes to the meta narrative, to the overarching story. There, even the weird, the obscure passages, they 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 feed into the story somehow, in some way. And and that's you know we we have churches that are filled with people who have a, a good deal of Bible under their belts. You know they have lots of data points, but they don't have a framework you know, in, into which these things hang. They, you know, they, you know, you open up a, a puzzle box and this is why you're taught to make the perimeter first. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you got a place to start, find the ones that have a straight edge and put them together, you know, and, and now you've got a framework. You can start filling in the gaps and seeing how the pieces connect. And, and this is what I'm trying to do it because I think it's apparent you know, I, I and I always say, you know, I, I believe it, but I believe it because it, it, it's so apparent that it's supposed to work that way. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to make sense. And the things are supposed to connect, but unless you kind of know what you're looking at, you have at least a little bit of the box lid, or you have an idea of what this is, you know, where this might be headed. It's really hard to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. So. What, what I do is I try to give people a framework so that they can start knowing where the pieces fit and how they fit together. Yeah. And, and you do an, an incredible job at it. And just so people, you know, right now, you know, I've read um, Reversing Herman. I've read The Unseen Realm. I've read um, Angels. Um, I've, I went through Supernatural, but a lot of it was in The Unseen Realm. Um, and so yep. now I've got my hand on this book, Demons, and, you know, we can't, I would love to ask you so many more questions about it. There's so much content for us to dive into, but I almost want to 
you know, wet the whistle, the people who are listening right now to make them hungry to really get a hold of it and to read it. You know, in, in your book, you talk about the origin of Satan. You know, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. There's a lot of questions around that. You know, we just think that he wanted to be better than God and he took a bunch of angels with him and he got cast down to the earth. There's a lot of questions there. You talk about the ultimate fate of the powers of darkness in this book and you go through, you know, the rebellions in, in a much deeper way. And so I highly recommend for those who are listening right now, please get your hands on this book, Demons, but also get your hands on the unseen realm. It's going to lay a very strong foundation for you in terms of understanding these, you know, very mysterious things from scripture, you know? And so, um, uh, Michael, I if just, it's, if it's weird, if it's weird, it's important. oh my god i just for me it was just so enlightening i would love to ask you so much more but it's have to be for another day but thank you so much uh for joining me on the podcast i really want people to be able to connect to your podcast because i know you do a lot of podcasts yourself you have a you have a theological school as well and also you got tons of resources tell us how people can listen to your podcast and maybe even be part of your school if they want to learn more yeah, the, the, the podcast is the Naked Bible Podcast. So just nakedbiblepodcast.com. And, you know, we just, this is what we do. We try to, you know, teach people content to read scripture in light of its own original ancient context and see what the payoff is there. Uh, the school is one semester old. This is actually the, the last week for our, our live uh, classes. Uh, and the, it's a two year program two-year certificate program, you can go to schooloftheology.com, schooloftheology.com. It's called the Awakening School of Theology and Ministry, but schooloftheology.com. The first year, we take 30 weeks and go through the content of Unseen Realm. And then the second year, we, we do some drill downs, What I and we're going to do what I call postmodern apologetics, mm-hmm. really terrible thinking that you're going to encounter on YouTube and the History Channel and the Internet about Jesus and about God, and about, you know, just all, all sorts of things that really undermine the faith of a lot of people um, to sort of address those things. So schooloftheology.com, and my main website is dr, as in doctor, drmsh.com. That's kind of a nerve center for everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, have a nonprofit where I, I'm trying to get my, my books, uh, Supernatural, the ones I have rights to, Supernatural, and the, the little one for new believers called What Does God Want? Uh, my nonprofit translates those. Uh, we pay for that. And so we've got Supernatural in about 20 languages now. And what, what does God want? about half of that. So oh, wow. the, the nonprofit is miklot.org. That's M-I-Q-L-A-T.org. So if you're looking for anything other than English, you can get it there for free. We have Spanish, for instance, and Supernatural. That's free. Everything on the site is free. You can repurpose and reuse it in any way you want. You don't need my permission. Actually, the site gives you permission. But that's what it's for. So we're, we're trying to, to get out as much content uh, as we can and give away as much as we can and you know, have, have things like the books, you know, pay for the other. And, of course, lots of people contribute to the podcast and, mm-hmm. and the quad and whatnot. So that's, that's what keeps everything afloat, and that's the mission. You know, just do something useful and try to produce as much content as we can. <laughs> You're releasing books. How many a year? I feel like the the Book of Enoch. You have a you have a um, a commentary on that. You're you're releasing tons of books for people to get their hands on. Yeah, I I did the reader's commentary on Enoch, the first thirty six chapters, which is known as the Book of the Watchers. Um, I'm I'm into the second one. 
hopefully hopefully the second one will be done by the end of the year um i have another manuscript that, that really you know it, it's a convoluted subject i'm trying to take um sacred calendar and and what scholars call astral prophecy and have a full book on that basically to show how this was thought about in biblical and, and ancient days and how it's abused today in mm. modern end times thinking yep because mm. uh, i think that's kind of important yeah. it gets abused a lot yep um, so i'm working on that and um and then there's only oh, my third novel I'm, I'm into that too because that's the most fun thing i do right there <laughs> I, I i write i write science awesome. fiction it's kind of like theological supernatural thriller the first one is the facade the second one is the portent and i'm in the third one now because you know i try to i try to provide entry points for people who will not read bible books or theology books uh-huh. you know get them into the content so i piggyback the content onto science fiction in that case Awesome. Incredible. Yeah. So for those who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, Michael Heiser, thank you so much for joining me again on the, on, on the podcast. It's always an honor. I want to talk in the, I could talk to you for two hours and I literally have two other questions, three other questions here that we could talk about for probably half an hour each. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so many interesting things here, you know, you've, you've got a wealth of understanding. It's good stuff. The Bible's good stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love the word of God. And so thank you so much for enriching my life and your and your contribution to the body of Christ. And it's an honor. Thank you for taking time to be with me today. Yep, thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. It's always an honor to be with you guys here today. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review the podcast so we can get this out to more people so they can be challenged, inspired, blessed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I look forward to speaking with you next time on Awaken Podcast. Mm-hmm.